What's going on, guys? AJ here, back again to bring you another episode of the E1B2 podcast. And today actually starts the process of a new series that I'm starting. The funny thing is, though, I actually don't have a name for this series, which is bad branding on my part. But uh, let's never mind that. You know, we're playing in the startup world, so it's very ad hoc. It's very random. I will figure this out along the way. But this series is going to be around in interviewing and bringing on angel investors, startup advisors, venture capital um, firms, venture capitalists, um, you know, anyone that is doing great things within the world of startups, startup, you know, founders themselves, internal managers inside of startups, anyone that is doing great work within the world of startups, we want to bring them on to a new series for about 20 episodes where we're going to be interviewing them, understanding them, learning them, diving into the realities, seeing what they're seeing in the marketplace today, asking them selfish questions about our E1B2 methodology and perspectives and seeing how it lands with them. Do they have any pushback? Do they have any nuances that they want to add into it? Any new wrinkles, any new perspectives? We're very, very, very excited about it. And um, today though, is the very first one. So I'm going to let Catherine kind of give you her background uh, within the, the first six or so minutes of the episode. But uh, she is someone that brought it today, guys. Me and her have a very similar outlook and perspective on the world of not only employee experience, but the world of startups overall. She has an incredibly interesting background. She has played very much in the advisor space within the startup world, the venture capital space. She's now in the marketing space. She's very much an operator. She's doing a lot of amazing things. And I am so grateful for the opportunity that she gave me to interview her to start this series and kick things off. So enjoy this episode with Catherine, guys. I know for a fact she's going to bring it uh, or she did bring it rather not that she's going to she already did she crushed it uh i know for a fact that you guys are going to love this episode it's very operational it's very tactical we get into a lot of deep conversations around not just you know employee experience and operations but startups as well and um hope you guys really enjoy this episode because i think the uh i think the cadence of this episode was very uh was very good and i think there's a lot that startups can learn about employee experience from listening to this episode and i think there's a lot that you guys can learn from Catherine and the work that she does and the way that her organization goes about designing teams and executing deliverables and getting things done at a very operational level that are that it's also empathetic to the employee so again i'm gonna stop ranting now uh Catherine, thank you subscribers thank you downloaders thank you Anyone else that has listened to the even 15 seconds of my podcast, thank you and enjoy today's episode. Thanks a lot. Um, I kind of offline ask you how, how have you have been, but if you can maybe give me a little bit more of a, uh, a background and a, and a macro look at, at, at who you are and what you're about. I'm, um, I personally, and I don't mean this in any rude way, a lot of people take it a couple of different ways. I personally um, hate and despise uh, 30 minute backgrounds uh, <laughs> within podcasts where like the first 35 minutes is their origin story. I'm not, um, I'm not typically a fan. That's why I do kind of the, the pre uh, the pre podcast conversation. So, um, but please, for those that didn't talk to you, uh, tell everybody about just who you are and what you're about and, and maybe something that's interesting that you're seeing in the world today. Let's maybe start there. Sure. Um, well, I'm Catherine. <laughs> um, and for the past, what, seven years or so, I've been in startup world and operations, which has been super fun. So I started in venture capital, started then my own company and moved from there into fintech entrepreneurship space and running operations. And right now I'm head of operations at Soar, um, which is a marketing platform. And what's really exciting about this is that we're a fully remote company and we've been from day one. So we've been prepared for this COVID new reality. Um, and I've worked with remote teams before and I know a lot of people are struggling right now, but this is very exciting to see this shift um, to work from home that is spreading to a lot of more businesses right now. How, uh, this is, this is an ad hoc random question. How, um, how do you get involved with, so, you know, my, my understanding of venture capital is incredibly limited. It's I, the only perspective I have is like, you are a venture capitalist and you allocate funds or you're a part of a bigger fund if you are, or like, I don't know of any of the, 
operational roles within um, the closest I think I know of is like a scout role. Like, so, you know, tell me, tell me about what you've done inside of venture capital. Like, tell me about your roles there. Um, sure. Well, with venture capital, um, I was a part of, um, I was within the team Draper's global network of uh, funds and um, how I got in there. Well, I moved to the U S and my background is actually is in international relations. Um, and I moved and joined the fund when we saw the um, Crimea war between Ukraine and Russia. And the fund that actually hired me had LPs from both Ukraine and Russia. So they had to navigate on more political issues rather than, you know, investment issues. Um, so I was dealing on that more like troubleshooting and making sure everybody's kind of on the right um, side of things and there are no troubles, especially political risks for either sides because um, you have to navigate a lot more than just um, investment in that situation. But it's very particular situation, um, which was resolved successfully and everybody's happy. Um, and on the other side, I did do some due diligence and kind of deal deal screening, um, as well as we also put up um, conferences and events to kind of network with other funds and investors, um, as well as discover new companies because we invested globally. So there's a lot of things that actually happen within funds that are beyond just investment. Got it. And then, and so your role there, um, did, why did you end up leaving that? Is that something that you still do independently? Have you kind of built up enough cash to, to do like a little bit of angel investing or like, do you enjoy that world or cause now that you're kind of at a marketing uh, firm. So is that something that, uh, you still hope to get into? Or are you still advising, still a part of that world? Or where, where are you at from that lens? Well, I'm currently actually a venture partner at um, Unventures, which is a syndication group. So we actually um, focus on companies that um, work for Economy 3.0 creation. Um, so a lot of it is in fintech and then equal opportunities, uplifting those who are underbanked, um, especially in the U.S. Um, there are like over 55 million people who are underbanked or unbanked, uh, which is hugely overlooked market. Um, so kind of trying to create this kind of impact solutions, right? So funding founders and companies that are creating real solutions for real problems that we're seeing today. Um, and that's just been something that I've been passionate about um, since I started um, working um, in like entrepreneurship space. That's something that I saw that we can create a huge um, relief and opportunity for a lot of families and a lot of individuals. And there's so many issues. Just talk about student debt, right? Like just even that. There are so many things that are wrong in the system right now that are breaking people early on. And it's just like, how do you get out of that poverty? Poverty is expensive. It has a tax on it, you know, and uh, how can we solve these issues from the ground up instead of waiting for somebody on top to dictate the solutions? So that's why I kind of stayed in the space and that's what the group is doing. So I got involved and I helped them with due diligence because I'm highly analytical in terms of how I look at the companies um, and what they're doing from the business side as well as the product size and service size. So um, yeah, that I'm still involved and I'm not planning to kind of step away from it, at least for now. Do you invest in any companies yourself personally? Uh, I'm invested in one company, um, but yeah, sometimes. And how did that turn out? Or is it still in the process? I mean, it's a unicorn company, so it turned out pretty good. <laughs> Can you disclose what it is? Uh, it's Data Robot. It's an IE. How like you feel a about AI. That? How I mean, you feel about that? I mean, it's great. It's a good. It's a good thing, right? <laughs> of course. Um, it's a nice kind of you know retirement um, investment. So planning for the future is always good. Am I talking good. to Nostradamus? Excuse me. No Shadamas, am I talking to? It's a joke. I was okay. <laughs> uh, threw you off there. No, I was making a joke saying uh, you must have a good eye. There. You must be able to see the future. Was there? Was there? Um, what? What got you excited and interested in investing in that company? Was it a relationship? Was it? Was it something you just saw? Did they have a unique approach? What did you? What did you see? Well, a lot of it is network. In general, a lot of, you know, successful things in venture capital is network and yeah. knowing the people. And um, I feel like not one person can predict 
right? Um, what company is actually going to shoot out? There's so many variables that can go right or can go wrong. Um, and you just never know. And that's why they say, you know, like there is this luck, like the percentage of luck that's actually contributing to successful companies. Like look at uh, Carvana right now. When they just started out, I was like, oh my God, this is so not cost efficient. And then COVID hit and they're booming because it was just perfect timing. But who could predict? Nobody. And um yeah, so it's like at that moment, it was just knowing the right people who were syndicating the deal. And, you know, I just decided to get involved because I, I trusted the people who were um, putting together the deal and got access to the founders. Um, okay. So, yep. Um, one last question to do a little bit of the background here. Um, I went a little bit longer than I typically do. So you must be an interesting person. <laughs> I typically cut it off within like two sentences. So, uh, any, but anything else though, anything that, um, what, uh, what's, what's one thing that people don't typically know about you? I always like asking that question. It's like, what's one thing, um, a mom, a dad, a cousin, uh, a, a close friend would know about you that you maybe want to share with people that, uh, makes you unique. I know that's an odd question, but I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> well, um, I mean the, the, the one fact I guess about me that usually throws people off um, is actually published a book on um, international security and how nuclear weapons influence the concept and evolution of international security. Holy shit. Because that's my background actually like I have a master's degree in international relations and I specialize in um, security so terrorism nuclear weapons all of that stuff like that's what that's what I saw as my future in college. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, but that somehow led me to venture capital and then I fell in love with entrepreneurship and it's a weird, I know it's a weird evolution, but. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. That's, uh, should I be scared of you maybe? Or should there be like, are you, uh, are you a strategist there for me? Like what, what makes you excited about that? Actually, let me ask you that. What, what makes you excited about those, those dynamics and, and nuclear and things of that nature? I mean, it's fascinating because in general, I like politics because it's so much about humanity and being human, but also psychology. And it's less about, you know, technology of nuclear weapons, even though I understand it. But it's it's more about how that evolution happens and how that influence and fear. How does fear that exists only in our heads, right, of like potentially something going south, how that influences the whole world and how different mm. countries and different leaders are making a whole different other decisions they would have done whether that did not exist so that's what fascinates me about it and that's what i focused on kind of seeing that evolution from you know the early ages of creating governments to how the the understanding and this what, what was the security centered around was it around people was it around this country like it, it really is an interesting evolution for me at least historically and psychologically so would you say a lot of laws, policies, kind of human functions are based around fear and, and individual perspectives? And a lot of them. A lot of the decisions. Yeah. And it's like it's 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 fascinating to also see how many decisions that are usually made by the top leaders of the country are sometimes not made in the best, you know, of the people. And I feel like that also kind of brings us to the reality of today where, you know, a lot of people aren't happy with the situation because somewhere this, the, the system got broken and we forget that we're not the ones working for the government. The government is the one working for us, the people. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are missing that point and forgetting the basics. You are very fascinating. Has anyone ever told you that? I've heard it a few times. <laughs> Do you let it get to your head? Nah, because I'm humble. I'm constantly a student. We only know a fraction, right? That's so that's good. That's good. All right, I'll done. I'm done being nice to you. Let's get back <laughs> to work here. Um, so that's interesting. Background done. Um, let's move on to another part. So you talked about your experience being involved in a lot of um, a lot of companies that were remote from the beginning. Uh, what uh, what do you think are some foundational components that companies need to think about when it comes to remote that are not, let me push you here, that are not typically or easily found 
with a quick LinkedIn search, Twitter search, or Google search? Like, what are some nuanced, very deep operational uh, components of remote work that companies need to think about at an operational level? And then obviously, you know, the theme of this podcast that makes the company inevitably more productive uh, for the outcomes that the company wants, but also more empathetic and more nuanced for the employees. Well, I know that was a mouthful, but um, <laughs> my, my, my listeners can handle the deep, the deep operational nuances. So I know I want to push you there. What, what is not uh, normal or what not, um, not uh, typical? Cause I think there's so much content out here. Uh, and I want to see if I can get you to give me a tactic, a tip, a nuance that is not uh, easily found via online. Sure. Oh, um, that was a hard one. Well, I guess something that I don't see a lot and something that I try to push for the companies that I join is um, some, you know, usually, especially with the remote companies, mm-hmm. um, the founders or the managers, whoever whatever the size of the company they always try to bring the process like they build the process first of how the operations work how does this team work how does this works and then they start try to bring in people and you know put them in their seats and see if that works um so they're kind of dictating right the system and the operational flow when i think that a lot of it is very organic and Actually, when you listen to the people that you're hiring, given you're hiring the right people, right, they're the ones who help you create the best process, the one that will work for everybody. And it actually kind of eliminates a lot of the bottlenecks because now they are invested in the process themselves. And that's something that we're doing at SOAR now, because when we're on board people, you know, we don't have fixed hours. We're like, no, we understand. We're going to manage the expectations here and you're in control. If you need to take a break right now for whatever reason, we understand it. So, like, it's very focused and also trusting to the employees and team members that you bring, regardless if they're contractor or employee, we treat everybody equally. And I feel like that creates this amazing connection that people don't want to leave. They want to continue working with us. And they, they're actually starting to take action and initiative. They're like, hey... We think this can this process can be better. Let's eliminate this middle step because we don't need it anymore. And now they're the ones taking control. So you're more a supportive kind of role versus a dictator. And I feel like that's working for us really well. But given that we are hiring good people, and that's the second part of your question, I feel like what we created was a persona, right? What who do we consider kind of sore? what vibe who gives us that vibe of like a doer who is totally in control of their time who understands the task management who understands the value of being on time with things because then you're delaying another department or another person and that has been working really well and surprisingly well because I kept I keep saying to the founders I'm like this is amazing what you've built before I even joined the company because it's amazing how everybody is on top of things and it's, it's unique to find a huge number of people that possess that same quality. Let me, let me jump in here. That is, so you are becoming more and more fascinating by the day uh, or by the minute here. We haven't even (laughs) been through another day, but that is incredibly fascinating. So there's a couple pins that I want to, that I want to poke at a bit. So the first thing there's, so when you met me originally, I told you about the E1B2 Collective and things that I'm working on. And I'm hoping and praying that I can continue to build a relationship with you. And, and maybe there are some things that we can do in the future around that. But but one thing that we very much believe in is like uh, is, is a thing called kind of workflow autonomy. And you were kind of alluding to that to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. You know, we are very much fans of organizations that are, are that are that inevitably ebb and flow to the workflow realities and 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 comfortabilities of the employee that makes them work the best right because inevitably if you're hiring someone that is very self-aware and knows how to be an excellent executor in their own individual right they know what type of workflow and process from a delivery standpoint that works for them rather than bringing in someone and saying hey this is how we do it here i need you to form and 
form and be a part of this inevitable system or this workflow rather than saying, here's the inevitable outcome that we're looking for. What's the flow in the system that will work best for you? That's how I'm kind of, t- uh, that's, that, that's the, regurgitate, the regurgitation. I can't even talk here. That is how I'm regurgitating and, and, and kind of hearing what you're saying. I guess my question to you would be, when have you, and I, I'm assuming, actually, let me ask you this. How long have you been with the company? Uh, with this one, just for a few months. I joined um, in the middle of COVID, yeah. Okay, so maybe the question wouldn't pertain. I was going to say, are, have there been any moments where you haven't found that that have, has not worked well? Um, in your short time being there. And then I, I want to continue to go on my little rant here. Is sure. there any? Yeah. Um, not in a huge way. No, like we do have some people who struggle with kind of more productivity and time management, but Mm -hmm. um, we always, well, at least I try to first find tools and help them fix the situation, especially when they're aware that this is an issue. So like, instead of punishing them, I would like to help them and elevate them. Like that's a missing skill. Let's work on getting it. Um, And that's been working so far. One thing that we also did is uh, we also identified that some people who are like, in, for example, team leader positions, right? You only can do so much, right? And as we grow, the needs of changing the process and adjusting it are also growing. So one thing that we actually did is we brought in an ops specialist um, who does Six Sigma um, who does um, improvement, like uh, operational excellence projects, and he's really data-driven. So he's now becoming this supporting leg for these people, kind of, hey, this is your process. Let me look at it. Um, let me look at real data. Let me see how we can make it better so we can make your life better. But it's a very collaborative um, yeah. process for both the team leaders. So they're still in control, but now they have a support of a person who has a whole different set of skills. That's what I love. And that's where I was going to get to. So what I'm hearing is you guys still allow, let's just pick a name, Andrew, or even you, obviously, you're an employee as well. (laughs) So let's just say Andrew here, you still allow Andrew to create his workflow and create his delivery in the way that fits most comfortable for him and his style. But now, since the organization is growing, you guys have now brought in someone to help them manage and restructure how they go about it to get the best out of the way that they want to do it. That's what I'm hearing. Yep, exactly. That's very similar. So uh, complete different background than you. Um, uh, you know, I was a former D1 athlete, uh, played, you know, some minor stuff here and there, never got to the NFL ranks, but I definitely played at a high enough level where once you get to that collegiate level, the professional level, coaches start to realize that you are the, the elite of the elite. And you know how you train best. You know how you run your routes best. You know how you hit someone best. You know how to function as an athlete. Now they have coaches that support and just watch you from afar and adjust and tweak and bring in best practices to see which best practices will fit well with your current skill set to just increase your overall ability. But then you have the comp- then you have the teams, and this is kind of the, the flip of what your company would be. Then you have the teams that are completely opposite of that. Then you have the teams like a, uh, I'm trying to think of, a, I don't know, like the Cincinnati Bengals, if you want to just, you know, call them out here since I'm a Ravens <laughs> fan. Um, they, uh, they, and I've heard this through the grapevines, they actually have coaches that are so old school and so traditional, like, this is our system. I don't care what university you went to, you will fit into the system. You will run routes this way. You will throw the ball this way. You will tackle this way. You will read coverages this way. And inevitably that doesn't work. That's why they haven't won a Super Bowl in the last 40 years. So um, I kind of use those parallels when I look at uh, what you're saying. And uh, that is incredibly interesting. And I give you guys a lot of kudos for that. Um, Would you agree that it's incredibly rare at a macro level of startups and companies at at a macro level? Um, I would say, yeah, not everybody's doing it. And I feel like that's a part of a different issue of, you know, founders needing that control and wanting that control because they feel like their neck is the one on the line. But it's like when you let go and you share that responsibility, but also you share the fruits of that labor, right? So it's one thing to enable them 
to learn new skills, to take control, but it's also another way to motivate them to feel like that's their company as well. They're part of this family. And that's one thing that I love about our team. Even the new members who join, you know, recently just finished onboarding and been with us for like a month only. It was insane that in their 15 fives, which is uh, the system we use for um, kind of how did your work go? Do you have any blockers? Are there any issues? Um, check-ins with me and they're literally referring to the team as family yeah and that's where i think we're doing something really right because they feel like we're flat you know we understand that some of us on our different positions it's different running running different um departments and making different levels of decision but at the same time they feel like they're contributing their voice is heard and they are heard and respected. And I feel like that's a big part of not telling people how they need to do their job because that's why you hired them because they had the skill set that you needed. So let them do their job the way they want to do it. All you should care about is the end result, right? And um, yeah, I feel like that's why it's important to move into that direction versus trying to establish some sort of this is how it is. Um, no. Now, now piggybacking off of that perspective, right? Because we're obviously talking about remote work. Um, how do you guys track productivity? I think you just said it, but I want you to maybe go a little bit deeper if you need to, or if it's a very surface level blanket statement of we inevitably know what needs to get done and we track if it's done or not. It could be that simple. Maybe it's not, but I think you know and I know that a lot of the issues right now in the midst of COVID and in a macro level of around companies that consider going remote, it was very much around the productivity conversation because, and, and I'm just going to say it. Um, I was a former founder. I am now a founder. Again, I've been around a lot of founders. My entire career has been in small businesses and startups. Founders uh, typically are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly a weird combination of egotistical slash the most insecure people I've ever met. <laughs> uh, I am, I'm, I'm one to admit that I've been like that for the most of my career, but minus the last two, I've now finally found comfortability in not knowing something found comfortability in leaning into others and expecting and loving and appreciating and, 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 uh, and, and, and kind of giving my all to others. Cause inevitably I know they're giving their all to something I want to get off the ground. And so when I look at employees, uh, uh, companies rather that are trying to like micromanage and check productivity, I immediately look at that as a personality and eternal flaw but we're not here to have a more emotional conversation in which I'm ready to have any day of the week. Um, but to get to the punchline, how do you guys track productivity and how do you suggest other companies live into that trust and erase that ego and live into productivity best practices? How do you guys do it and what do you suggest? Um, so I feel like one side of it is having really clear goals um, and OKRs, right, for the company for the year. And then we also do it quarterly. So everybody knows what we're focusing on and what are our goals and which, which direction we're going. And one thing we do is we also outline projects and initiatives that are to be launched within that time frame and assign a person who is responsible for kind of driving that based on the skill set and department and obviously. Um, and then every time anything actually is launched, whether it's a small task, whether it's a bigger task and a whole like company initiative, we always ask each other like, okay, how do we measure the success of it? How do we consider that after everything we've done, whatever amount of hours we put in, how do we measure that this, has, this was a success? And we come up with a few metrics that tell us that story. And that's what we focus on. We focus on data. And then some, you know, some people can spend three hours and achieve the same thing that others need 10 hours to spend on. So we don't really look at that. We're trying to look at what's the quality of the output and is it close to where the success that we disturb established is. Um, and then we always establish success higher to keep pushing us higher. I'm like, is this, is this, is this a doable, like, let's take it a little bit step further, see if we can do it even better. So, um, that creates that sort of motivation for everybody to like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, but at the same time, everybody owns the process so they can do it in whatever manner relax. Like some people prefer working at night freaking well, I don't mind. 
do you i sleep at night but <laughs> everybody has their own process and i feel like empowering them to and allowing them to do that use your own process whenever and however you work best that's when you get the best results because people don't feel like they're getting pushed like oh my god it's monday 9 a.m and i have to be on this meeting no it's a, a lot more relaxed but at the same time you have to trust people because you hired them to do a very specific job and you hired them for a reason and they're still there and you're still paying them for a reason because they're good employees because they're good workers so you have to trust them because they trusted you to pay their bills and their paychecks right so it's a two-way street you have to trust them as well um and the more you respect them and the more you allow them to be comfortable at work the more the, the better will be the output the more successful is the output the more they're going to push and that's what i've seen so far in more than one company um, and then once you start kind of trying to sit on their back and micromanage and like how many hours did you log in today what was the output right what's the cost per whatever um, that you actually did. I'm like, I don't care because now they're stressed. Now they're not motivated. Now they're not thinking about the job in front of them and the goal that they need to reach. Now they're thinking about, were my hours good enough? Is he going to bitch at me again? So it's, you're shooting yourself in the leg if you are the second type, <laughs> the one that micromanages, right? I feel like you're shooting yourself in the leg because you're, you're just reshifting the focus of the employee into a whole different dimension that they should not even be thinking about. I went down a really deep rabbit hole for like 18 months around neuroscience. Um, I started studying and researching people like David Rock and Keith Ferrazzi and Christine Comerford that have a nice blend of organizational psychology or neuroscience and, and how, it, how it impacts organizational cultures and productivity and very surface level things that I will never forget are threat responses and reward responses. And that was the first thing that came to my mind is I don't think founders have any idea of the threat response that happens when you consistently talk about and execute all the things that you just, that you just described. I don't think they're understanding what happens in the brain around how you're just driving down productivity, how you're driving down innovation, how you're driving down, some of the reward responses that will enact trust and love and, and a desire to show up, a desire to care more, a desire to uh, be a little bit more flexible with, with how much effort they decide to put in. I don't think enough startup founders are realizing and understanding the, just the basic science of that. But here's the question, though, that I have for you that I and me and my team are really trying to think through is, and this is just a reality, I don't know if a lot of startup founders give a shit now let me explain i think a lot of and again i hate to do this but i always go to psychology um i used to piss my founder off um about two years ago because i i was i i am that guy that asked this question where did you get this from and he would always say what do you mean and i would say where did you learn that from what's it your mom your dad your first leader your internship when you were 19 like where did you learn some of your leadership traits and best practices from because this is not getting the job done and i don't want to be disrespectful to you but i want to unpack where you learned it from so i can do something else and he would always say to me you know what i don't give a shit i genuinely don't give a shit and then as i started going through life i started realizing that a lot more startup founders don't give a shit because i'll be very frank there are companies that don't do anything that we're talking about that are incredibly successful and so what would you say to a company or would you even say anything to a company or to a founder that says, yeah, I hear what you guys are saying, but uh, I don't know. I just don't typically give a shit. We're, we're still successful. We, we still have a great organization. I don't give a shit. Well, first of all, I'll tell them to look at how many employees churn <laughs> per month. But um, I mean, I get it um, because and I know a lot of founders who are in that boat of I don't give a shit like they don't matter and what pisses me off even more especially now when we're working in a remote company we're not just in the US we're globally we have a lot of people who are for example are from Philippines and they're amazing people who are leading whole teams and creating amazing things within our company in terms of creating new services creating new processes from zero and it's a lot of the times that's what I saw is like Oh, you're not from U.S. I'm going to treat you like shit because you're you don't matter. You're even less matter than anybody in the U.S. 
and that that's what pisses me off even more with people like that um and i was just like no you're treating people like shit i really hope somebody will treat you like that as well and honestly i feel like for most of those situations it's a lot of well douchebagginess and then also lack of love for humanity even though i hate humans but i love my humans and my team and wait you hate humans i hate humans i mean we're just talking about how many founders are douchebags like a lot of humans suck let's face it you think so Uh, yeah i feel like a lot of people suck a lot of more people suck than not suck so um Yeah, that's kind of... We'll have that debate a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying everybody sucks, but... I hear you. I feel like a lot of people are very disrespectful, and they just don't care. It's not just founders in the startup. It goes beyond. But when we're talking about founders, I also think a lot of it is about how much pressure they're under. So it's like getting there at any cost. And, you know, people are not lo- no longer seen as an asset, as the most valuable asset of the company. Now they're just seen as means to getting to the next goal, to the next step, so we can rate the next round. Um, and that's a part of kind of entrepreneurship, unfortunately. It's like, because it's a race and we're always told it's a race, right? There's somebody else building the same thing. They're, you're not going to raise the money. We're not going to give you money because you didn't reach your X, Y, Z. Um, and it becomes more about that. And it's hard to take a step back for a lot of people because one thing I also will mention is a lot of the founders and entrepreneurs are actually very emotionally disconnected. Talk to they, me about that. Let's go down that rabbit hole. Well, have you ever met a person you would be talking to and they're very emotionally connected? They read your emotions. They're just, they're empathetic. They're there, they're present, um, and they can talk about any sort of things, no matter how personal. Yeah. And then you need other people who are, for them, talking about emotions is a struggle. Like, they don't like it, they don't want it, they don't understand it, they feel like it's irrelevant. Do you? And there, go ahead, go ahead, please. No, and, and there, yeah, and there are a lot of people like that. And a lot of them are, turn out to be entrepreneurs, and there's an interesting book, um, by an Oxford professor, um, I can give you the name later. It's basically what can we learn from um, serial killers, psychopaths, and entrepreneurs and successful businessmen. And they put all of them in the same line because there's a spectrum. What he's arguing is that there is a spectrum of uh, psychopathy. And it's basically about how connected or disconnected you are from your emotions as one part of it. Um, and you'll be surprised how many successful businessmen, how many, or women, how many successful entrepreneurs, how many successful surgeons are on that spectrum. They're technically psychopaths. They just did not go to the spectrum where they're murdering people because that's a whole different other end of the story. But, um, it's a big part of it that entrepreneurship, because it's such a high risk, high reward race kind of drive constantly innovate constantly change constantly do something it attracts a very particular group of people with very particular kind of personalities and that's one of them um and that's why i think we're seeing it like i don't care about people because they are disconnected from those emotions and that's just my theory based on you know (laughs) books and like stuff that i read and life experiences but that was a very interesting learning for me. I was like, oh, this is actually interesting. And I started seeing patterns in real life. I'm like, okay, yeah, that explains a lot. So now when I approach even like situations with other founders, it's interesting because I see it very differently. I don't blame them for being assholes, right? I'm like, whatever, your mama didn't love you enough, whatever happened. But I kind of always take myself to like that study and I was like this is interesting this actually could be a reason why you're gonna make it well 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 here's what I'll say and why I love you for everything you just said because you raised up points that I've talked about historically I have episodes where I go on large like screaming rants about this and there's no one else on the podcast it's just <laughs> me um because I here's what I'll say and I say this every single day of the week what we're trying to do with the E1B2 Collective is we are very much about operationalizing employee experience. So everything that I believe in, everything that we do, everything we focus on very much impacts 
better better practices around how to how to how to execute business functions and how to execute things at a more productive level that inevitably are empathetic to your people right so everything is through that lens mm-hmm. i've always made strong cases that most ceos that i've come across do not deserve not that's not true let me take it back they should not be the sole executor of the inevitable people that are connected to the business. They should be the sole executor of, let's call it vision or business development or making tough objective decisions that inevitably can drive the business to success or to failure or handling pressure. I believe, and I've said this, I'm on the record of saying this. I believe the VP of people or the CHRO, whoever you want to call those people, I believe they should have the second most important power within an organization, because at the end of the day, there are so many leaders like what you described that have such a great capability of building great product or leading groups of people that can build great product or build great services and can drive business from a business development sales perspective. But when it comes to the people, they are so misaligned, so guarded with their emotions, so blinded of how to read and calibrate emotional intelligence and, 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 and all of these functions that are so vital and so important that can drive more productivity that I genuinely believe many CEOs that I've come across and many CEOs that I'm sure you've come across should have those responsibilities, should have those deliverables, should have that ability removed from them. And I believe, now I know this is so far out there that you and I both know this will never be the case, but I genuinely can make a case that, you know, board of directors and advisors and, you know, investors inside these companies and and or people that these startup founders respect should be speaking up and removing them from those functions of the business and delegating those to people and giving those type of people that are going to handle the people much more autonomy, much more pay, much more, much more responsibility, much more respect. Um, I've been on the record to make that like I can objectively have a very animated debate. I had done that to make a strong business case for it. We're not even talking emotional, just a business case. Do you have any thoughts around that? Do you am I am I completely off off color with that? Or is there some lining of truth there? I mean, I totally agree that um for most cases, you know, it's for founders, it's really important to be there and very connected to their team when they're small. Right. When they're early on, when they're just starting out, because that's where the magic happens. And that's where these people bring value. And actually, you value their skill set, even if you're emotionally disconnected and what they're bringing to the table because you're scars and resources. And that's totally understandable. But I feel like once you get to a much more, you know, medium size of a startup. Yeah, totally. There has to be. And I feel like that is a part, at least for me, it was always been a part of operations, right? Like you are responsible for these people because you're responsible for how they work and what's happening. It's very operational. Yeah, it is very operational. So I feel like that's the person who should be driving these initiatives and making sure that, you know, even if you have to hire an extra person who is specifically responsible for people, that's fine. That's totally understandable as well based on the size and type of business. I'm not arguing even with that, but I feel like that's just the part. I feel like if you are as an operation person, don't understand that shitting on your people is going to affect negatively your operations, then you shouldn't be in operations. Because I feel like that's, that's the huge disconnect that a lot of founders don't see, and that's fine because their head is somewhere in another place. That's why I don't blame them for it. But that is just the basics of operations because operations are not just about do step one do step two what happens next and like how do we build this whole thing what's the process like what's the flow like it's also okay but what's the input what's the quality of that input from every single person because if they're not pulling if they're only doing 90 percent out of 100 you're not going to see the results you want to see so how do you make sure that these people are doing their 100 percent how do you make sure they're doing 150 percent And it's not by threats. It's not by, if you don't meet this, you know, goal of sales or whatever it is, you're going to be fired. Like nobody wants to work in that environment. And I feel like that's also like what backs this up is the fact that we're actually measuring on annual basis, like the best places to work. 
it's a thing, right? Companies get awarded the best place to work. And a lot of the companies that are labeled that are actually doing really well and growing super fast and are very innovative because now they are, they are becoming this magnet for people with amazing abilities. So now you're, now when you're looking at job obligations that come into you, you're looking at highly skilled, highly motivated, sometimes even geniuses, like it's insane. Um, and I feel like that's the part that's overlooked because, um, most of the time, I feel like there's this notion of, well, they're employees, they're below me. Well, no, they're not. They are, literally, feel- yeah, they, they are literally the foundation. Let me, let me go on the record here. I've said this so many times, and let me say this for a, another time. I was, the, I was the startup founder of a company that reached uh, a little under, the, I'm going to give you exact numbers, and I've never been this transparent, a little under $2 million in sales in 18 months. It was a not a tech startup. This was a traditional brick and mortar uh, uh, sports facility training company, right? So in that industry, within an 18-month window, it's an incredible scale. Um, We had uh, a little under 60 people working. There are subcontractors, full-time employees, a lot of things, coaches, et cetera. That business went to zero because of a lack of career mapping and empathy and one-on-one conversations and strategy from a people operations standpoint went to zero. It is no, did no longer exist. I've seen uh, the second company that I was a part of, that was a startup company, that I was the director of partnerships and the VP of people. That company was at 30 million in sales over a two and a half year span of time. That was in the fitness space. That company went to literally zero because the 45 trainers went to 18, went to six, then inevitably went to one over the course of a certain amount of time due to things when I walked away from the company due to a lot of other variables that we don't need to get into. I've seen, like I can go on and on of companies from half a million to let's call it 40 million in sales that have gone to literal zero due to people operations disasters so let me be on the record by saying your people are literally not like maybe not a nice like literally the most at an objective level the most important factor of your organization bar none i will have again and i've said this over and over again and if you know anyone that disagrees with me please invite them to have a respectful but spirited debate because i've had (laughs) i'm ready for it i have my pitchforks and anything i need and i'm ready um so, yeah, just want to make that statement because I don't think I've ever been that direct on this podcast. And the energy of this episode is really driving me to say that because I'm really, frankly, getting tired of people telling me that's not true. It is true. I, I've seen it firsthand. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. Have I seen companies that are completely horrible at everything we're talking about and excel and grow and make tons and tons of cash? Yes, I have. But at the end of the day, it is possible for them and it's more than likely for them to inevitably do two things. Either one, maybe go to zero or two, they're, they're capping their upside because of their deficiencies. So that's just true. Um, to shift gears a little bit for the next maybe 10 to 12 minutes, something that we care a lot about here at the E1B2 Collective is career mapping. Um, all of my experiences within startups, I've always been that guy that has pushed managers to have thoughtful one-on-ones at a check-in level, not a micromanaging over their task level, but at a check-in level to gauge every 90 days or so the goals, the perspectives, the ideals of the, of the people working within the company. Because I know when you're at number seven, number 29, number 76, employee-wise, that over the course of those, let's call it seven to 18 months of going from seven employees to 79 or 80 employees, so many different things can happen and change in individuals' lives. And you also are typically having employees inside of your company that are in their mid to late 20s or early 30s. And so I know there's so many changes that go around their overall career ambitions. And what I know is it's a great idea to be completely empathetic and agile to what they inevitably want to do from a career mapping perspective and do everything in your power to not just keep them inside of your company for your best interest, but to also navigate the realities of where they want to go. From your POV, 
how important is it to operationally focus on career mapping at the startup level, let's call it 50 to 250 employees? I mean, it's vital. Um, and we're even doing it now. You do believe have... that. You're not just saying it because you like me and you're in the podcast. No, so. no, no, totally. And I, I'm honestly, we're doing it now with our small team. Um, I have quarterly one-on-ones with every single person on their team, which is insane and takes weeks, but Good. I do it. I'm literally sitting there. I'm, I'm blocking out my whole week and from 8 a.m. in the morning till whatever it takes based on everybody's time zone, I'm there for at least 30 minutes with every single person. And it's not about, you know, hey, what did you do? It's more about how are you doing? How is your workload? So we also make sure that they don't burn out, right? Yep. So that's one big thing that we try to focus on and prevent. Also, like, how is your family? How are you doing through COVID? How are things going on, like, in your country? Are you, do you have everything you need? Like, are there any health issues that can we help you with something? So being that kind of partner for them and a friend. And at the same time, a lot of the things we talk about is like, hey, are you happy with what you're working on right now? And even with the few, like the short time that I've been with the company, I actually shifted a few people to different teams and to complete different tasks and jobs because that's what they wanted to really go. And I've asked them and I've heard them and we reviewed and we discussed it internally. And we're like, yeah, this makes total sense. We can reshift the whole op structure and make it happen. And they're thriving in those places because they're a lot more motivated because that's what they really wanted to do. And they're learning new skills. They're getting up every morning. They're, they're overperforming, which is insane. They're like, hey, I came up with this new initiative and I already put it together. Here, look at it. I'm like, Jesus Christ, of course, yes, thank exactly. you. Exactly, yep. And that's why it's important. It's like it, it's even in small things, even like, hey, I want to learn this new skill. We'll pay for it. Whatever, whatever Udemy class, whatever we need to like get you, we'll help you. Because one thing we do believe is constant growth. And that's also something very personal to me. It's like, if I'm not learning something new, I'm stagnating. I feel like I'm stagnating. I get bored. I get annoyed. I'm not happy because... I feel like I'm just existing, you know, in this gray yep. space. I need direction. I need something new to focus myself, my energy on, to add up to what I already have. Constantly learning new skills, whether it's job related or I don't know, you want to learn how to garden or cook, whatever it is. But it's an important part of being human and growing. And it also creates mentality that is very important at the workplace as well, as well as life because it creates this constant need for growth okay we reached the step what's next so now we're all achievers now we're all doers and i feel like that focusing on hey whether it's a new skill or whether it's a different career path let's talk about it i heard you let me see what we can do and how we can help you right and at the end of the day that is a huge part of culture creating that internal company culture and motivation and building an amazing stellar team whether you're remote or not that's just something that i feel like should not be passed because that's why people leave they're like well i've been working sitting in the same desk to exact same thing for five years yeah wouldn't you be bored i'd be bored so it just makes sense especially if you have amazing talent that you found you don't want them to go you want to make sure that they stay yeah. Now, now, do you, let, me, let me ask you this. Let me, just two more questions, and I'll get you out of here because this has been amazing. I really thank you for this. Um, last two questions. This is a quick one, and then I have a, the biggest question of them all. Uh, <laughs> do you feel like? Because um, the one of the biggest reasons of why uh, I wanted to meet with you and so many others like you is number one. You know, I may be transparent. Would love to continue to build a relationship with you. Would love to see if there's any sort of collaborations and work that I can do and my company can do and things that we can do for the worlds of startups that you're involved in. But more importantly than that, you have a unique perspective, an intimate look inside of startups and what something that we're, maybe we're just not seeing right now, right? Yes, we work with startups. Yes, we're intimate from that level, but it's a different level of intimacy when you're actually working inside of a company day in and day out at the startup level. I am no longer an employee doing that. So do you feel like at a macro, not your company any longer, um, not, I mean, not your company currently, but at a macro, startups you've invested in, startups that you know from afar from your venture capital um, involvement, startups that you just have colleagues and friends 
is career mapping, again, something that at an operational level, because of me and you, and that's why I'm so grateful and so thankful that you admit, not admitted, but acknowledged that, 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 I guess that perspective of operationalizing the people operations and employee experience functions. Like it's very much an operational thing. So do you see career mapping being something that is a gap, a hole, an error, not so much of a focus within the vast majority of startups that you see from afar? Yes, especially if we're talking about startups. I feel like it exists in more corporate settings. Yes, it does. Just startups though, yep. Yeah, but for startups, yeah, I feel like it's a big gap. And um, I feel like the reason is because people who are running these startups and founders, usually it's their first or second or third venture, and they've never really gotten to that point where they were even, a majority of them were even... um, exposed to this kind of even practice you know then they you know a lot of people i know like yeah yeah i'll help my employee but they have to come and ask and i'm like well they don't know if they can you're the boss you know it's like it's a very delicate approach so um but yeah definitely i feel like there's a gap and i feel like it's an important gap that has to be filled biggest question of it of them all the biggest question of this episode You've gotten to learn a little bit more about my personality, a couple of the ideals or perspectives that we have with my company. Um, take my company out of it. Let's just look at the function of the way that we are designed. You know, our perspective, the problem that we're seeing is twofold. Number one, the macro problem that we're seeing is a lot of startups are failing at a lot of the things that we talked about today. So that's just a macro problem that we wanted to solve that we just don't see a, a lot of um employee experience slash HR type consultancies or solutions that are focusing at that level. I see a ton of consultancies and solutions that are focusing at that, uh, at that uh, mid-size to, to, to big organizational level, not seeing too many at the startup level. I intimately have a relationship with that space. So that was the big problem. The second problem we're seeing and we're trying to tackle is let's call it 50 to 250 employees. There's points where they start to get into some of the strategic work that we were talking about today. And like you said, we're realizing that they're being led by founders that are first time or second time founders just out of university, maybe only had one job before, or they decide to bring in that strategic HR person, that people operations person. And now that individual has so many tasks, so many ambitions, so many ideas of getting functions built out from a people operations framework perspective that they are so overwhelmed that there is a support that needs to have that needs to be had around building out these functions alongside them or or for them before they even get into the company and that's something we want to do. So from your perspective with the way that we're structured our focus on developing and working with startups what is the not even going to push not even going to go there because I know you you may say positive things what what what's something that is a complete big glaring red flag uh gap a hole that we should think about as it pertains to trying to build partnerships and allyship and relationships with startup founders with internal people operations managers within startups with venture capitalists with advisors like yourself and people that are also involved with venture capital what's a red flag a gap, a hole that you personally would have as I try to build a relationship with you or people like you of why this should not work within startups and why this should not be a big focus. Uh, That was a mouthful. Yeah, I'm like trying to collect my thoughts. Um, And be very transparent too. I I trust that you'll give me the real. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, Otherwise, what's the point? (laughs) Um, I guess like... So I think there are multiple things to it, and I'll try to cover them quickly. Um, So I feel like first thing, every time we say HR, people immediately think, oh, boring thing, paperwork, oh, all that crap. Nobody really understands. Like, I feel like we need to relabel that, right? I love people operations. That's not that good one. Um, But like reshifting our mindset or our understanding of hey, this is not just paper pushing. That is not just some bullshit administrative, you know, processing payroll benefit type of thing. It goes a lot beyond that. Um, and then the other thing is a lot of venture capitalists don't care. 
<laughs> they're like, I just want them to exit and give me money. Okay, that's the game. Unfortunately, that's the reality, and that's going to be a tough. Um, so do sale. they? Do, so I'm, I'm I'm asking this. I'm curious. So, you know, you, you know, you're an investor in one company. You are an advisor. You're associated with venture. There are many other people like you and, and other companies that are from that lens. Do you guys, and when I say you guys, I don't mean you particularly, but do, do they not build collaborations and partnerships and allyship with practitioners or advisors from marketing functions, from operations functions to tech functions to people operate? Like, do they not make these ancillary relationships to bring people in to work? Like, is that something, or are you saying the people operations function is the one that is on the lowest totem pole of all of those things? I think it's the latter. Yeah. So I know that some of them are very hands-on in terms of, Hey, we're going to help you with development. Hey, we're going to help you with marketing and whether it's, you know, an internal team that they're building or, you know, a trusted uh, partner service provider that they go to, everybody has different models. Like look at it. It's, it's all over the place, but those are not, those are the focuses, right? We need a product. We need to get it to the market. We need to start sales. Like, and those are the main focuses. And even if you look at, uh, look at accelerators, right? One of the possible avenues for you, right? Um, look at the accelerators and look at what their curriculum, what they're focused on. Because they usually, you know, do blocks like this week or this month we work on this. This week we work on this. You will never see HR. You will never see people operations. That's All crazy. you will see is product. Go to market you know, fundraising, like, and that's what also contributes to founders focusing just on that. That's very disappointing, but I completely understand it. Um, and I'm not saying that that's right, but I, I'm like, this is the reality. And whoever decided that it's not a big part of this whole system and the outlook, you know, on how, what is a successful company and I feel like that's what we need to also shift. Like, what is a successful company? A successful company is not just the one that's making millions of dollars that became profitable, that is growing insane, but it's also the one that people want to work with. And I feel like we will see that shift moving forward because thank God millennials, I never thought I'd say that, but we, we have kind of a more, we want to work at different types of companies. Even if you look at statistics and like data out there, right? They want to work for meaningful companies. They want to work for companies that are creating positive output, whether it's direct impact or indirect impact. But it also includes that these companies are treating their employees fairly, that they are treating them as human beings. And that's the shift that we are seeing. And maybe it will take another 10 years, but we'll get there. And I want to believe in that. Um, and maybe then, you know, we will have another week in an accelerator <laughs> program where they actually look at people operations and HR and how do you actually build a great stellar team um, and team culture. But I feel like right now there's like this gap because we're all about financial input and output um, in entrepreneurship world versus, um, you know, humanity in it. So what, so what I've taken from you, and this is the core business overall, is it's a good idea that I started the process of building a relationship with you and many others, because what I'm hearing is it's going to take someone that has a deeper personal relationship to make a recommendation, make a statement, make a suggestion, you know, have that emotional glue with the founder to say, hey, I know the, a lot of these things aren't on your radar, but they're doing some interesting work. You should check them out. It's not going to be, it's not what you're, I guess what I'm hearing is it's not going to be an objective, um, you know, easy partnership to make unless you have those relationships in place. Cause it's not going to be immediately obvious to the advisors, to the investors, to all these other functions that are connected to the startup world. I think so. And I think another side of it also is a lot of founders are realizing that they want to build these amazing teams. They just don't know how. But then the struggle I would see there or the hurdle I would see there is a really limited resource and budget. So like even bringing in whether it's a, you know, an agency or just one person 
you have to, as a startup founder, especially on early stages, like you really have to be careful where you put your money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and usually then, you know, they're like, okay, we're budgeting again for marketing, for developers, <laughs> for like, yeah. I don't know, salaries. But like, that's also going to be the last item. They're like, well, if we have budget left, that's going to be, you know, something we want to add. Um, and that's why I think my approach to this was like, I'm a, I'm an operations, right? I'm an operations person. But at the same time, I'm trying to drive these people operations as well right i'm trying to drive these this vision and i love the fact that the, currently the founders and the team they they love it and i don't have to they they don't push back you know i don't have to prove that this is necessary they're like yes we love our team members we want to make it better if you know how please do so i feel like there's definitely understanding and need but the, there is like for the founders like that there's a question of limited budget and like how much this will cost me yeah. And, and our model, just to wrap this up, my, our model is, you know, we don't touch a company until they get to about that 60 point, 60 person range. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us, for us, that point of that inflection point is you guys are probably thinking about bringing someone in finally from an internal perspective, go the collective route, get the systems and the functions and the frameworks built, and then go and bring, bring one or three or five people in, um, because yeah, the fun, the finances was a thing for for me to think about. But uh, this uh, this has been amazing. This has been very, very, very uh, fun and helpful. And um, do you have uh, do you have any last thoughts? Any last tips, perspectives? Anything about your company that you're working for that you maybe want to plug? There's more and more and more startup founders and uh, and um, just companies overall that listen to this. I know that now that you're working for a marketing company, so there may be some 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 things you want to share. Well, I hate sales, but hey, check us out. <laughs> um, well, we actually, you know, try to work with founders, especially on early stage and kind of help them get that growth and traction because we're startup junkies. We just love that space and we want to see more people succeed. So we'll, we'll, we'll work with you. Um, but on the other side, I feel like I want to give a shout out, first of all, to you because you're doing something amazing. I feel like that's one thing that someone needs to drive on like a more, you know, upscale level of, hey, people are the main asset of any business. If you don't think so, shut up and leave. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, And then I feel like that's a shout out to all the founders out there who are actually doing that. Yeah. And, you know, respecting their people, no matter where they're located, what's their background. You decided to work with them. You added it to a team. So now you're responsible for them. And they're going to be responsible for you and your business. And like, don't forget, don't, don't forget and don't be afraid to trust your team members. And, you know, maybe they have need help here, but they will be the ones picking you up when you're down as well. Because we're all human in the end of the day. And I feel like 2020 is showing us exactly that. We're all human. We all deal with different situations and just be empathetic. Sometimes, you know, before... Well, sometimes when we listen, we listen to respond, especially in a business setting, but maybe take a step back and listen to understand and go from there in your decision making. Exactly. Well, I appreciate that, uh, that, um, that, that wonderful statement there. Uh, you know, me and my, my partners were doing our best and um, you, as I told you, you will definitely be hearing from me and uh, I'll kind of share with you a little bit more intimately what we're doing and, I'll let you know when this gets all edited up and then hopefully you'll share it and, and, uh, and we will definitely, like I said, we'll talk very soon. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks so much again. Yep. Thank you too. Have a good one. Yep.